only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Now, mostly dead, he's slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. <laughs> so important. What you got here, that's worth living for. True love. True love. You heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Yes, honey. True love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT, a mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. Oh, they're so perky. I love that. But that's not what he said. He distinctly said, to blave, and as we all know, to blave means to bluff, huh? So you're probably playing cards, and he cheated. Liar! 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 Get back, witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! That's good. I, I heard someone said the, the movie, Princess Bride. I don't know, how, how many of you have seen that movie? Okay. Some of you, not a lot of you, you should watch the movie. It's actually one of the more funnier movies that I've seen. Uh, but beyond being funny, this movie actually has a lot of wisdom. But of all the wisdom of this movie that I came out with, I think it's the, the scene that I showed you earlier. Earlier, Miracle Max asked uh, Wesley this question. Wesley is not fully dead, but he's uh, slightly alive, right? And he asked him this question. Hey, what's there? What is so, what, 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 what you got in there that is worth living for? That's the question that many people, many of us sometimes forget to ask. We tend to ask the other question, what is worth dying for? But a lot of times we forget to ask ourselves, what is worth living for? What is worth living for for you? Is there anything in your life that is worth living for? Or is your life just kind of mundane, walk in the park, routine, machinery that you keep, keep up day in and day out? What is that is worth living for for you? That is what we're going to talk about this series. For the next five weeks, including today's six weeks, we're going to start a new series called Made for More. Because I believe what the scripture tells us is that our lives is made for more. Made for more than what we are currently experiencing. We are made, one, is made by God. Two, is that God has a specific uh, fullness of life that he has given to us when he saved us. He did not save you and I just so that we can wait, have this terrible, monotonous life until we get to heaven. That fullness of not life starts the moment we put our faith in Jesus. What is worth living for? What do you got in you, in you that is worth living for? This series comes with two promises and one reality. Two promises from God that we have just read earlier from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Again, let's read that together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. Ready? One, two, three. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There are, within this verse is a promise to every believer in Jesus Christ that we 
We all know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is by, gra- uh, by, faith through, uh, by grace through faith that we've been saved with salvation. But immediately after that, it says that those of us who have been saved by God is his workmanship. We're not just kind of messed up uh, clumps of clay that was an accident. We are his workmanship, but not just only our identity as workmanship, but also we're created to do good works. There's something about our lives as Christians that we're created to do for God. What is worth living for is there's something called good works. But it also said not only there's something that we need to do, it says that so that you may, you should, we should walk in them. There is a place, there is a time, there is a season for these good works. You don't just do good works anywhere, but there is a particular period of time that God is calling you to do these good works because of who we are in Christ. We are, we've been made more than just what we maybe think of our lives. Oh, I'm just a student. I am just a professional. I'm just a pastor. I'm just a mom, just a dad. Whatever just that you attach after that, God said we are made for so much more because the second promise that we're, we're going to touch on is this, is from John chapter 10, verse 10. It does not have the word fullness in it, but in John chapter 10, verse 10 says this. Let's read it again together. Ready? One, two, and three. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Here's Jesus speaking. He said, I came on earth to give you life, not just life, but life abundantly. In another translation, it says this, you, I come that so that you may have life, but life to the full. Jesus is not promising, I'll just give you this so, so, so life. It's interesting to give you the eternal life, but that eternal life also is abundant, is full. And that is what God is promising to us. So we're made for more, and those are the two promises that we see from Scripture. There are many more, but we also come up against a reality that many of us, if not all of us, face every single day. Because if I ask all of you, do you feel like, those of you who are Christians, do you feel like you live a full life? Every single day. And the reality is this, that we don't. The reality is that there are some good days. I feel like, man, I'm right in my spot. There are also other days I feel like, why am I doing what I'm doing? You see, all of us, even as Christians, are are living in this stream of God's calling in our lives. That we have this longing inside us, our experience day to day says, "Ah, I don't know, like it doesn't feel like I'm made for more. I'm just made for school. I'm just made for taking care of chores at home. I'm just made for showing up at church. There are these internal, eternal longings that we feel like is not being fulfilled. I put it like this. There's a picture. I, I put it on here. Can you go show that, please? There's this term of, uh, this idea of restless discontent that we live with sing every single day. We're all kind of flowing in this stream of, of God's calling in our lives. And for some of us, we are closely aligned to what God has called us to do. Not necessarily being in ministry or in church work, but we feel like we're kind of close to it. But for some of us, can you go to the next slide, please? Some of us are going the opposite direction. We're rubbing it against is that, man, this does not feel like what God has called me to do. And at times we're wandering and we're going all sorts of directions. But what we're trying to do this series is this, that we're helping all of us, myself included, to find, to consistently live 
along the stream of what God is calling you and I to do. Uh, I, I thought of when I was thinking about this, this idea of stream of God's calling, one thing came to my mind is I shared with you in previous sermons that my kids' favorite sp- uh, place to go to is called the Great Wolf Lodge. It's a water park, and one of the things they like to do is a, a lazy river. Well, you know what a lazy river is? You just kind of hop on there. It's like a floaty, and then you just sit there, and it just kind of brings you, right? You go right on. But at times, my kids like to go against the stream. They would go against the stream. Now, can they do it? Yes, they could. Even my, my, our younger one, they could run up against the stream. But in the, in the meantime, he can keep, keep knocked back down and just keep going again. If you ask him to go 10 times against the stream, he's going to get really tired and he's going to get really frustrated. It might be fun for the first round. By second round, they want to go along the stream where it's supposed to go. And I think oftentimes that's how we feel. I'm going against the current. I'm going against the current. There must be more to my life. There must be something that I must be doing. There's something to my relationship with God. And so this series is for every one of you who is a junior higher or high schooler. That you show up when school starts again in August. Some of you next week. And you're asking the question, God, is there a point to my life? Because what seems to happen is I just wake up at 7 and show up at school and go to school run it back, uh, get out of school 2.30, go to after school, and then go home, eat dinner and go to sleep, play on my phone again, and then run it back the next day and go over and over. And you wonder, is this really what my life is about? This can be for some of you who are, this series is for some of you who are professionals or collegiates, that you are in the middle of making big decisions, getting married, thinking about who to get married with, what job should I get? What kind of stu- major should I study in? You're making life decisions, and you don't want to make a decision that you will regret later. Or some of us who are working, this series is also for you, because you, sh- you are one of those who show up 9 to 5, you're grinding it out every single day, and after a while, you're wondering, is there more to life than just show up at work, get a paycheck, buy some new stuff, save for retirement and work till 65, I can retire for the rest of my life. Is that the fullness of life that God intends for me? I think there is a danger for us, for some of us who are type A driven people. If you're anyway like me, when we think of this discontent that we have, you might be tempted to chase for the next new thing. Oh, I don't have this job. It's not good. I find a better job. Next interest, next uh, product that make my heart start beating faster. I'll chase for that. But as we will find out these next few weeks, there's something more to the newer, shinier things in this world that God has called you and made you for. And you can keep chasing them, chasing them at the end of the day. And 30, 40, 50 years later, you will still find yourself wrestling with that discontent in your restless discontent in your life. I've shared this also before in my sermon. I'll share it with again. There are some of us who have not heard this about my own journey of calling. Uh, I did not strive to be a pastor when I was young. In fact, I did not grow up in a Christian household. I, my parents did not uh, send me to a Christian school, but they never cared for me to be a Christian. So I grew up most of my life knowing the Bible, but you really didn't care to, to be a Christian. But until one day, God saved me through a retreat in my uh, home church in San Diego. And ever since then, I started to learn more about Christ. But even then, I've never wanted to be a pastor. I knew I, wa- I do not want to be. I don't want to be a lawyer. I do not want to be a business person. <coughs> I don't want to be a doctor. 
basically three out of the four field that most people, most Asians families uh, uh, want their kids to be. I don't want to be any of, of the three. What I really wanted to do is I wanted to be in science. So when I was in high school, uh, I was involved in this group called the uh, Oceanography Club, and I got really into it. And so by the time I graduated high school, my mind was set on studying oceanography, and I know exactly where I want to study at UCSD in their grad school program, studying uh, physical oceanography with a particular professor. So my senior year in high school, I already knew that I was interning there. I was pay, pay, paving my path. I knew going to college what I needed to study. I, I needed to study geography, because, uh, geology, because there's no undergrad program for oceanography. So I have that all planned out. And along that journey, none of that was about being a pastor. But all the while, I had this yearning and longing to serve God. And so along the way, I kind of, as I grew in my faith, as I got involved in my Christian club at school, at church, God slowly showing me this uh, growing, this burden, growing this heart, this longing to, to serve others, uh, and starting giving this thought about being in ministry. By the way, I'm not sharing this because I'm trying to push all of you into ministry. Because if all you're in ministry, that's, we're, we're not going to be a, a church that is functioning in all cylinders. Why I'm sharing this story with you is because God sometimes takes what we're experiencing every single day to help us to find our sweet spot. You know, even after I graduated from college, I had an opportunity to continue my study, in, uh, to get my PhD. I had this connection with my professor. Uh, it's just a matter of applying because he works with me. He knows me. He said, basically, if I just take the G, uh, GRE, apply, boom, I'll be in this program. And I have a decision to make at that time. Would I want to spend six years of my life to do, doing something I like to do? And I love studying geology. I love doing oceanography. For some of you, it may be like boring, but for me, I love that. And I have a decision to make for six years. Do I want to study something I like? But all the while, I know that there's this nagging feeling in my life that, no, there's something more that God's calling me to do. But at the time, I did not know what that was. But what I know is that God wants me to turn that down. Now, I want, to put, put you, uh, I want you to be in my shoes. If your parents heard that you can get in a PhD program and you have a scholarship for it, what do you think your parents want you to do? To say no or to say yes? Likely to be say yes and like, go, right? I had to choose to say no. Not because I did not like what I was going to study. Not because I don't think a PhD is important. But because at that time, I feel strongly that the Lord is leading me somewhere else. So you know what I did? I ended up going to work. I ended up working in the field that I would have continued my PhD study on. I wanted to work because I knew that God wanted me to work. But all the while, God continued to clarify, continued to help me to understand what he wants me to do. So I work full-time, and I take part-time classes in a seminary. Because I sense that God is leading me that direction, but I want to prepare myself. And it wasn't until later that, that finally God called me to quit my full-time job to be in school full-time. What I want to illustrate for us is this. God is not calling each one of you to be in ministry. God is not calling each one of you to be a pastor. Please don't. God might be calling some of you to be. But what I want to sh share with you is this, that God made each one of us, and he wants us to find our sweet spot. Our sweet spots. You know, God created all of us, created the world with sweet spots. If you play baseball or any sport, you know that when you hit or you play golf, 
when you hit the bat on the ball, you hit, if you hit the right spot, the sweet spot, the ball just flies. If you play golf, ever hit a golf ball, you know what sweet spot is because 9 out of 10, 9.5 out of 10 times, you're, you're shanking that shot because you are not good at hitting the sweet spot of the golf ball. In this room, there are sweet spots. Acoustically, there are some spots that are better than other spots. Even when our kids, my kids play the, uh, in, the, in the bathtub, the way they play the uh, push the water and swing it around, there is a sweet spot that will allow the water to spill. Uh, 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 I was going to use a really nerdy term, attenuate, to, to make it bigger, to spill over the, 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 the bathtub because it hits a certain free, a sweet spot that it multiplies its output. It makes it, um, uh, the, what, what, what's going out is, is stronger. And that's what God is after for us. I think in our lives, God has sweet spots for us as well. Again, let me rephrase and re-remind you, it's not about being in ministry, being vocational Christian work. But God called each one of us for a, have sweet spots for us. And let's go back to John chapter 10, verse 10. We read earlier, it says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. The idea there, have it to the full, is this idea of taking hold of it. It's not just having it and that's it. It's like when Hannah and I got married. It's one thing to have a marriage, to get a wedding, but it's altogether a different thing to take hold of a marriage. Right, you can get together with someone and sign a paper and have a ceremony and be done with it and never continue. Taking a hold of a relationship is something more. Right? You invest in it. You enjoy it. You spend time together. You grow closer. That's the idea that God has for us. Your sweet spot and my sweet spot, we need to take hold of that life that God has called us to be a part of. Uh, take hold of that. To, 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 the idea of full is not, when we think of full, I don't have my cup here. I got my cup here. When we think of the idea of full, of fullness, we tend to think of just fill up water, fill up the coffee, and then it goes to the, the top. The idea here is completely different. What Jesus had in mind is not filling up to the brim and stop. The fullness of what God is call, talking about in your life and my life, a full life, is he keeps pouring and pouring and pouring. And you keep pouring, what would happen? It's filled. It's flowing. God is continuing pouring into our lives so that he wants a full life in us so that we can pour out to other people. We're going to explore some more of this. Again, this is an introduction for the series. Uh, but can you go to the next slide, please? Thank you. We're going to explore some, a lot more about this. If this framework, this idea of be, do, and go. I did not come up with this framework. I, I borrowed it from a guy named Todd Wilson, and I find it very useful. In order to find our sweet spot, we need to understand who we are. What did God made us to be? We'll talk a lot more about that next week and the week after. What did God, who did God create us to be? And what, did, what am I made to do? So uh, to be is our identity. To do is our purpose. What are we called to do? What are we made to do? And then here's the third one. Where are we supposed to go to do these things that God called us to do? We need to understand who we are what we are supposed to do, and where are we supposed to do it? All these questions kind of, kind of converge on this idea of calling in our life. What are we called to do? One of the questions at the end of our lives we all need to answer is these two questions. Who 
What do we do with who Jesus said he is? And the second question is this. What do we do with what Jesus has given us to work with? The first question, what did we do with what Jesus uh, said he is has to do with our salvation. Here's the next slide, please. Next one. What did you do with who Jesus said he has to do with our salvation? Do you believe that Jesus said that he is a a Savior and Lord? When we answer that question with faith, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's the question that all of us at the end of our lives when we die, God is going to ask that question of us. And our response, it will be too late to respond to it by that time. It will be, have to be a response that we do today or in the past. We have made that commitment to follow Jesus. What did you, we do with Jesus who he said he is? The second question is, what did we do with Jesus, what Jesus gave you to work with? Remember the parable of the talents? Some get one, some get two, some get five. The idea is not better talents, better person. The idea is what did you do with what God has given to you? Your time, your treasure. What did you do with these things? Your talent. And this idea of calling is for every one of us. There is what we call a primary calling. Traditionally in Christianity through history, this concept of primary calling, secondary calling, both of them are important. Primary calling is this. Primary calling for all of us is the same. I don't care if you are young, old, a guy or girl, Chinese, non-Chinese. The primary calling for every one of us is this, to be a disciple of Christ. We respond to Jesus and we say, Jesus, yes, you're my Savior and Lord. That's who we are. That's the primary calling for every one of us, to be the disciples of Christ. And that primary calling also applies to all of us is, who are, what are we to do? We recite that every Sunday. Go make what? Disciples. We're all called to do that as Christians. It, again, does not matter if you're in ministry. It does not matter if you're a college student. It doesn't matter if you're a janitor. We're all called to that. And we're supposed to do that? The be, do, and the go? Wherever you are. If you're a Christian, you should be making disciples at your home. At your school, at your after school, in this church. But here's the idea of secondary calling. Secondary calling is different for all of us. Primary is all the same for all of us. Be a disciple, make a disciple wherever we are. But the secondary calling is different. It's how God uniquely wired you to carry out these things. How did God make you so that you can... Go and make disciples. For some of you, you might one day become the greatest scientist there is. That you can represent God and speak intelligently into this world. Some of you are going to be artists that can display the beauty of God in, in ways that nobody else can. Some of you are going to be programmers. That can program things that will advance this world to bring blessing, physical, tangible blessing. Some of you may be involved in charitable work, bringing clean water to a place that have no clean water but all for the purpose of people coming to know God and make disciples of all nations. That will be your unique calling, and it will be different for all of us here. You may be a nurse, a doctor, a lawyer, and yes, even as politicians, that God is going to call you and uniquely made you to find a second calling to be to make him known and to, to into the, the, the world. I put this picture up here. It's by a guy named Cotton uh, Mather. He's a Puritan theologian. Um, he kind of uses analogy to describe what primary calling and secondary calling is. Why you need both. If you look at the boat on its own without the oars, 
if you have this boat out in the middle of the sea, what would happen? The boat would what? Just drift and flow wherever the ocean takes them. And for many of us, that's kind of our lives. We don't recognize what our primary calling is, one or we don't know what our secondary calling is. We're not pursuing and understanding and asking God for them. So we're like that boat in the middle of the sea, getting drift left and what right, and whatever the world swing at us, we're going to just follow that. And we are literally drifting away. But here's the problem. When we, when we start knowing our primary calling, and we start putting one oar in the ocean, in the water, and we start rowing with just one oar, what happens? The boat would do what? In circle. Or you go right, you're just going to turn left the whole time, you keep going in circle, and then you just use one oar on the left, you're going to keep going in circle. And for many of us, we know in our head that our primary calling is to be a disciple, make disciples wherever we go, yet we don't understand how God is uniquely wiring us to do that. And so what happens? We're just going to keep around and go in circle. We just keep going in circle and circle and circle. And we, we, we just get stuck in where we are. And it is when you and I put both oars in the, in the, into the sea. We know what God has called us to do primarily. And we're doing a spot, a sweet spot of where we are. When you're rowing both of them, that's when you make progress. That's when you make progress. That's when you are flowing into the stream of what God is calling you and I to do. But there's a danger. There's a warning for, you, for all of us. Because some of you are thinking, well, Ben, I feel pretty happy where I'm at. I can care less what God's calling for my life. I'm happy where I'm at. And here's the reality. The reason why you're happy where you're at is not because you are flowing in God's stream of, uh, of, your, of, of, of his calling for you. You're happy is because you're comparing your life with the person that is in the world. You're saying, oh, my neighbors, my friends are seem like a happy life. I just copy what they do. And you're still drifting. You're still getting stuck. You're going in a circle, but you're happy because all everyone else around you seems to be doing the same thing. So if everyone else is doing the same thing, your parents teach you well, right? If everyone's doing it, what should you do? If everyone's jumping off the cliff, should you jump off the cliff too? No. But for many of us, that's kind of how we live our life. We don't look to God and ask God, what is your calling in my life? Am I convinced that my life is about making disciples of all nations? And where am I supposed to do it? How am I supposed to do it? Instead, we're asked, we just look at the person next to us, our friends, our family. And we live that type of life. Let that be the template of our life. Here's what we're going to do for the next five weeks. We're going to walk through the book of Ephesians. And we're going to do it a little bit differently than 1 John. 1 John, I pretty much preach through almost every single verse. But this time, we're not going to jump at every single verse. We're going to highlight a few uh, portions of Ephesians. I want to give you just a quick survey of Ephesians so that it will give you a roadmap, a guide. So next few weeks when you come, you'll remember. They will help you to understand. If, if you were to ask me what is the point of the book of Ephesians, I would say that the book of Ephesians is really a manual for the church. It says a whole lot about the church. Not the church building church, but the church people church. And it is a manual how we ought to live as the church of God in this world. And the main idea has to do with this idea of fullness. That God is calling you and I as a church to carry out the fullness of Jesus Christ into the world. Into every nook and cranny of this world. Every corner of this world. That is what you and I are called to do. Let me run through Ephesians chapter 1. It's on the screen. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 to 23. Here's what it says. Chapter 1, verse 22 to 23. 
And he put all things, and God put all things under his feet, meaning Jesus, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know what the body is of, of Christ is? Us. God gave Jesus the fullness, Jesus himself the fullness of God, and now through Jesus, he has given us, the church, the fullness of God. We are, we carry the fullness of God, and there is something that we ought to do is not to carry and save it and guard it, but we are called to bring that fullness to the world. That's what we're supposed to do. Ephesians chapter 2, you flip over one chapter, 2.10, we read this verse. This idea of fullness, we're called by God to carry the fullness of Christ into the world. Verse chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That this job of carrying the fullness of Christ is not for your parents only. It's not just for you, your people who are mature. It's for every single one of us. Because every one of us is created by God because we're all his workmanship. We're all disciples of Christ. We all have been given good works. And we're all supposed to go walk and carry this fullness of Christ to the world. That's what chapter 2 is really about. Chapter 3, here's what it says. I won't quote. Uh, do I have the verse on that? Yeah, chapter 3, verse 18 to 19. Let's read that together. Ready? One, two, three. To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Next one, please. And he gave, oh, sorry, that's it, 19. Okay, sorry, go back. There you go. So we've been filled with the fullness of God. Again, the idea is not God filled the pastors with the fullness of God, and the pastor does every work. But that idea that as you are being filled by the fullness of God, you need to bring it to wherever you go. God is make God has made you to be and have different spheres of influence so that you can carry the fullness of God to people who are always lacking the fullness of God. Ephesians chapter four talks about how how we are all building up the body of Christ. Go to the next slide, please. Thirteen, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As a church, we need to build each other up so that we'll be ready to carry the fullness of Christ. And if you go to chapter 5 and chapter 6, basically it's a lot of be this and do this. This fullness of Christ goes into our marriages for those of us who are married, husband, wife. For those of us who are children, for those of us who are parents, our children-parent relationship. We need to bring that fullness of, of Christ into that relationship. But further than that, we're supposed to bring it into our workplace. It talks about masters and slaves, your boss, your superior, and you. For those of you who are students, your teachers, your teacher's aides, we are all called to bring this fullness of Christ into the world. And that's what we're made to do. And so for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to explore. Uh, the last thing I want to share is this. If I have to ask you, do you want the best life that God has for you? I think the answer for all of us is yes. I believe that all of us want the best life. Who doesn't want the best life? But here's the problem. As much as we want the best life, sometimes there's a barriers in our life that keep us from having that good life, having that full life. 
I just want to read a passage of scripture for us in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 20. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. I think for many of us, we struggle with a, with a wrong scorecard in our lives. We have a scorecard that says treasures on earth. That's a win. Treasures on earth for us most of the time is a scorecard to keep track and say, that's a win. If I get a great grade, if I can get a great job, again, those things in and of itself is not wrong, but we just want those things because if I have them, if I have a spouse, if I have a kid, if I have retirement, that will be good. But the scriptures that our scorecard ought to be, we need to have strive for the treasures in heaven. That's a question I want to ask you this week as you think about what we're going to uh, explore the next few weeks. What kind of scorecard do you keep? And we all have a scorecard. In our hearts, it may not be outside, we do not write it up, but in our hearts, we have a scorecard. And a lot of times, that scorecard has to do with treasures on earth, not treasures in heaven. And if our scorecard is about treasures on earth, that will keep us from having the fullness of life that God has given to us. One next step I want to encourage you to do is this. Uh, we're gonna, I know many of your groups also have devotions. But for the next uh, few weeks as we go through this series, can you go to the next slide, please? Okay. Um, we're going to be posting every single day uh, devotional questions on, in the book of Ephesians. So I want to encourage you to follow along, read through the book of Ephesians with us. There are verses on there. There will be questions on there that we'll post every single day except on Sunday. Um, so every single day for six days a week for the next five weeks, I want to encourage you to follow along. If you don't follow our uh, Instagram, um, use the handle. Go ahead and put, take out your phone and add it and follow us, and it will hopefully it will help you to walk through with us not only on Sunday but during the week, so that you can find the full life that God has called you to live. Okay, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for, for your abundant life that you have saved us for to live. But God, we pray that we will not squander that life. How sad it is when the, when the, when the guy who buried his talent. He has one talent. He thinks that the master was too harsh that it will take it away. So God, I pray that we will not do the same. But help us to find to be convinced and convicted of our primary calling of being disciples and making disciples. And as we're convicted of that, Lord, help us to discover, to explore, to pray into, to lean into how you've made us. For some of us who are in different seasons of life and younger, older, Lord, help us to find our sweet spot so that our calling would be no longer just about our own fulfillment, but ultimately for the furthering of your kingdom. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to sing last song, Made to Worship. And um, you might have to run it back to the first service. Made to Worship. And as we sing that song, I want to encourage you to respond to God on how we've been made by God ultimately to worship Him. <laughs>